0: The word of our Lord from Paul's second epistle to Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuineness of your faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is now also in you. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Lord, we pray that you would bless the reading of your holy word. We pray that you would guide our thoughts, that you would guide our hearts, that you would help us to hear you in your word. And Lord, we pray that you would transform our lives through it. And we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Last night, Lindsay and I had taken the kids to the park and we were headed back to um, to the house and knew that um, the food offerings back home were a bit limited and so we were going to have to run by the store to get something to eat and we were throwing out some ideas and I'm telling one of my long-winded stories, by the way. Lindsay, you can thank me later. Um, as we're headed as we 're headed toward the grocery store i 'm going to hang out in the van with the kids and lindsay 's going to run in with with uh, with one of them to to get what 's needed and lindsay 's not the biggest burger fan she 's not the biggest beef fan but she'll she 'll eat it especially when the kids are really desiring it so we 're tossing out around some ideas and i 'm mentioning some chicken recipes that I th- think might be more appealing to her and she mentions burgers and uh, Pippin immediately said I want cheese on my burger And so she said I guess we're getting cheese I guess we're doing cheeseburgers In so we get what we need We head back to the house I fire up the grill Aiden's going to help me With the grill and so uh, as, we're, as we're working at the grill, Lindsay's inside with Daisy, and uh, the kids come up to me because they're outside playing in a sprinkler that Pippin got for his birthday, and they're all soaking wet. And the kids come up, and they're like, Dad, 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 uh, we've, we've found something. What do we do? And I look back, and Emery Silas is sitting there with both hands cupped like he's about to receive communion, and he's got this little bitty baby bird in his hands just cupped in his hands, this tiny, tiny little fuzzy, feathery, cute baby bird, tiny thing. He said, I don't know if he's hurt or what, but he can't fly, and he can't get home to his mama. And I said, okay, uh, you know what I did, guys? I said, all right, take that to your mother. She'll know what to do. (laughs) Because, of course, I have no earthly idea what do we do with this thing. So they run inside, and, of course, mom knows best despite what the TV show said. Lindsay took him into her hands and began investigating how to care for him get on the internet figure out you know what do we feed this thing that's the big question how do we feed him what do we feed him but then uh, perhaps an even more important question comes up and that is this should we be feeding him Lindsay asked a very important question what stage of development is this bird in is this a nestling or is this a fledgling and so she found out, ah, this is actually a fledgling. We should not be feeding this bird. We need to get him back to his mom. And so she and the kids all gather around where Emery said that he had found the bird, and it's right between a couple of trees. And according to the interweb, she's supposed to lay him down on the ground right where they had found him, and everybody just get away, steer clear, stay you know kind of quiet so that Mama Bird can find her little baby bird that's gone missing. And wouldn't you know it, within seconds of us backing away from these two trees, we start hearing birds like crazy. And a couple of birds swoop down, and here comes little mama bird to help her little baby bird. And the little baby bird's kind of bouncing around, and he can't fly. He can't figure out how to get back up to mama. But mama, notice, did not pick up the little baby bird and take him back home. Mama is there. She comes along. She comes alongside she helped him and as a few minutes passed she actually brought him food she fed him she encouraged him she stayed right there it was as plain as day that this mama bird is down there encouraging her little baby bird and she led him she went before him she's making a way up the tree And that little baby bird is bouncing along the edge of the bark, trying to climb back up the tree and gets way up high in the tree. But Mama Bird allowed her little baby bird to struggle. What an image I immediately thought of God's design for mothers! What a beautiful image! As we think about Mother's Day, I want to offer just a few thoughts specifically about mothers and, and uh, God's design for mothers, and then I want to get down to something that's a little bit more common for all of us as we reflect upon these biblical principles. But before we do that, there are a couple of hard realizations that I've come to know about mothers not being one myself. The first is that moms can't live life through their kids. You've heard it before. Oh boy, if I had only had the chance, if I had had the opportunities that I'm going to afford for my kids, I could have been something. Like Uncle Rico, we look at the mountain and we say, man, back in 82, I could have thrown a football over that mountain. And we dream about what might have been. And we dream about if all the possibilities had been lined up like we think we can line them up for our kids, then we could have really done something. We could have really been something. We could have been all state. We could have maybe gone pro. We could have maybe gotten that degree. And the, tempting is, is the, the temptation is significant to live life through our kids. But moms can't live life through their kids. But neither can, this is the, the second hard realization, neither can moms live life for their kids. You can't do it for them. What we got? Blacking out? Oh. Uh, don't worry. The charger's in my bag, actually, if you don't mind. Thank you, I forgot. Moms can't live life for their kids. They can't do it for them. Just like that little little baby bird had to learn to fly and that little fledgling had to learn how to get back to the nest. And mama bird was willing to watch baby bird struggle so moms can't live life for their kids. They cannot do it for them. Both of these two possibilities, living life through our kids or living life for our kids, both will create monsters. Monsters of the Kids and Monsters of the Moms. David. Go, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do it for him. I'm just, just telling him how to do it. <laughs> Both, both of, of, of these reactions, trying to live life through our kids vicariously and trying to live life for our kids micromanagingly, both will create monsters. Monsters of the kids and monsters of the moms, or as it were, parents. Either the pressure will become too great for the child to bear Or the child will come to see himself as the center of the world where all things revolve around me and my events and my activities and my desires and what I want to do and what I might become. The inordinate pressure on the parent, on the mom, on the dad will surely produce unbearable stress and debilitating anxiety fighting these temptations. It's hard on parents, but especially for moms. You might say that the struggle is real. Think about it. Moms literally make room for and carry their children. They literally have learned to eat for their children. What nutrition do I need so that the baby can develop best? What vitamins do I need to take? What appointments do I need to attend? And then moms fed their children. For what seems like ages, they do almost everything for their kids. Moms are biologically wired to nourish, to give life to their children. And if they're good moms... They find themselves psychologically, even spiritually wired to be concerned for their children well beyond those early years of childhood dependence. Just a few days ago, um, several of the neighbor kids have these little electric bikes, like little kid motorcycles basically running around the neighborhood and whatnot. And um, Asher has one and he used to have a really little one and it was really funny because it was this enormous uh, he's not an enormous kid but he looked like a huge kid on this little bitty bike It always reminded me of dumb and dumber where'd you get that thing but asher's got a new bike and he's wanting ransom to ride with him and so of course we insist that ransom's gonna wear a helmet so he's got this helmet on and he's climbed up behind asher and he doesn't like bear hug him It said he also grabs the handlebars, which of course is going to end in disaster. And Lindsay said, I'm just going to let him wreck. They got to learn somehow. It's it's through falling, it's through making mistakes, it's it's through struggling, it's through skint knees, it's it's through bruised elbows and cuts and 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 all those things, those hard knocks that life brings our way, it's through those things that we learn to adult, that we learn to become adults, that we grow into manhood or womanhood. They allow them to fail. They allow them to fall. They allow them to skin knees, to run risk. Why? Because the goal is so much greater than what could happen if we did life for them. Their goal is to raise children into adults. It's interesting that moms and dads do not determine the destiny of their children's lives. We think we do. We think, oh, if I set them up to become a doctor, they'll become a doctor. If I set them up to become a technician, they'll become a technician. If I give them a great opportunity to become a ball player, he'll become a ball player. He'll be the best. He may even end up in the Hall of Fame. Who knows? If we just set all the cards upright in the house that we build with it, then everything will work out. We think we determine our children's destiny. And that's often part of the problem is we're trying to determine our kids' destiny. But that destiny, what that child is intended to become, not necessarily will become, but what that child is intended to become, has been crafted by the Lord who made that child in His very own image. And that's just it. This brings us to the main point that I want to consider this morning together. The point is that God is at work in us. He has a plan, a design, a mission. He does this work in us. He brings about this plan, this design, this mission in our lives, often through others. His grace never comes to us in a vacuum. We don't just stumble upon it. We think we do. That's how it often seems experientially that, oh, it just happened. That day just occurred. That moment of brokenness on the side of the road, it just happened out of nowhere. I just stumbled upon a Bible in a hotel room. We, we think that God's grace comes to us in a vacuum, but it never does. Someone placed that Bible. Someone's praying those prayers. Someone's planting that seed. There's always the work of another in our lives while God is working in our lives. There are people who've invested in our lives, bringing us to this point, this moment together, even this morning. You're here because someone invited you or because years ago someone invited you or years ago someone said, hey, we got something happening here. Come along. Maybe somebody in a... Bread store told you that there was a church meeting downstairs that was small and might just be the right fit. That's how God works in our lives, by other people. Right. Timothy had a, had a Christian mom named Eunice that Paul name drops. He had a Christian grandma named Lois that Paul name drops. This faith was first in your grandma and then in your mom. And now I believe it's in you. He also had a mentor named Paul. Notice Paul mentions the gift of God that is in you by the laying on of my hands. Paul says, "I have put my hands upon you so that the grace of God might work in your life." Timothy surrounded by investors. There were probably innumerable names unknown to us that Paul could have rattled off and dropped. Lists upon lists of those who've invested in young Timothy's life. The fact is, God is at work in us. He has a plan, He has a design, He has a mission, He has somewhere that He's taking us if we will but yield ourselves. And the good news is that we're not in that alone. We've got moms, we've got dads, we've got Sunday school teachers, we've got neighbors, we've got people that God has placed in our lives to be, res- to, to, to be conduits of His grace in our lives. He's at work in us, and He wants us to grow up into adulthood in Jesus. I said this a few weeks ago, that we need Christians to become disciples. People who take the name people who say, oh yeah, I believe, to actually step up and grow up to become adults in Jesus. Being His child is not the end. It's not the great end that God foresees in us. It's not, oh, I want little baby Christians. Just being brought into His family is not enough for the Father. He calls us to essentially man up to start adulting. The Apostle Paul tells us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in you. He is providing the motivation, the will, and also the work, the energy to do that working out. The fact is, we've got some work to do in our lives because God is at work in us. We've got work to do. We've got some food to eat. We've got some muscles to stretch. We've got some growing pains to experience. Some skint knees and the residual scars to earn. Those who've been brought into the family of God, the the Apostle John says, purify themselves just as his son Jesus is pure. And like a good mother, the Holy Spirit is that paraclete. Next week is Pentecost. We remember last week as Jesus was raised up into heaven, as He ascended to the Father's right hand, He told His church, wait, tarry in Jerusalem, you will be endued with power because the promise of the Father is coming upon you. The paraclete, the one who comes alongside, that other comforter, he's coming. The Spirit comes alongside us, not to do all of the work for us, but to show us how it's done, to point our eyes back to Jesus, to give us an, an image to follow to strengthen us to nourish us to feed us to clothe us to care for us to encourage us on to stay just a few steps ahead of us urging us come on you can get back to the nest you can get up off the ground you can fly you can be renewed in your the strength of your youth like that of the eagle You can take flight. And so He comes and He nourishes us. And He calls us as God is at work in us, as God has a plan, a design, and a mission for our lives, the Holy Spirit calls us, yearns for us, encourages us so that our souls might be nurtured and so that also the souls of others might be nurtured. You see, it all comes full circle. God works in our lives through others, and as He continues to work in our lives, He calls us onward and upward and works in the lives of others through our lives. So much so that there are people in whose lives I'm investing who are really getting an investment of people that they've never even met before the people who've invested in my life one of the reasons i get so excited when i mention former professors and former pastors and and mentors in my life is it's not just because of fondness of who they were that that's part of it but to think you know some of you folks have never even met these people and I can see the impact that they've had on your life unknowingly. Because I see what God's doing in you. And I see what God is wanting to do through you in the lives of others. So God has entrusted to us the nurturing of the souls and the caring of of the souls of those He's put in our lives Immediately we think of the relationship of parent to child. You know, it's Mother's Day and we think about the investment of moms into their kids. We think about the investment of our moms into our lives as kids and even now as adults. God has entrusted people to our care. He's entrusted souls to us. As parents, it's... Incumbent upon us to take that responsibility seriously and as a responsibility, as a charge to keep, as Charles Wesley wrote, "A charge to keep I have." He's placed in our lives, extended family, and even non-biological extended family people that that have just become part of the family who sweep, you know, grab the kids and are treated just like mom and dad or uncle or grandparent. He's placed in our lives neighbors, people with whom we live, and as we earn trust, He charges us to care for the souls entrusted to our care, to nurture them, to nourish them, to encourage them on, not to do everything for them, but to show them how it's done, to show them how life is to be lived. As we begin to see that God is working through us in the lives of others, especially those that are vulnerable, especially those little fledglings who aren't stuck in the nest anymore but are out trying to figure out the world and figure out what life is like. Sunday school becomes more than just something we do. Nursery becomes more than just running interference for service so that people are distracted. They become opportunities to care for little souls. To show the love of Jesus to them and to to share the love of Jesus with them. Paul Ends his opening remarks to Timothy in this letter with a charge. A charge that's fitting for moms, a charge that's fitting to us as the people of God in whom God is at work. His call is to stir up the gift of God, both the gift that is in you and the gift that he wants to give through you to others. Stir up the gift of God. And he calls Timothy, and he calls us, don't live in fear. Don't parent in fear. Don't follow Christ in fear. Don't live in fear. Fear paralyzes. Fear makes ineffective. Yes, we're called to fear the Lord in a proper sense. But that's about living in the reality that we will one day face our Maker that we will give an account for the way we live. But that's not fear that produces paralysis and anxiety and inability. That sort of fear is not of God. Stir up the gift of God that is in you. Cooperate with what God is doing in you. Paul says that God has given us the spirit of power and of love of a clear mind, clarity of thought. We thank God for our mothers. We thank God for the way that God has invested in our lives through them. We thank Him for how He has placed in our lives people who come alongside us, who encourage us, who show us how to live, who go before us. People whose voices we hear as an encouragement when we've fallen out and don't know where to go, don't know how to get back home. And He calls us to be that type of people for others. To yield our souls to Him and to His care, to to nourish and also to nourish the souls of others that He's entrusted to our care. And so what we have and who we are, our hands, our feet, our voices, our talents, all of what we bring to the game, all of what we bring to the activity, we can entrust to Him and say, Lord, would You use me? Work in me. I yield myself completely to Your work. And use me for the sake of others. Help me to be the one who goes before and comes alongside of. Help me to be in tune with what your Spirit is doing in my life and in the lives of those that you've placed in my life. Will we yield ourselves to His work? Will we yield ourselves completely, unwaveringly, unequivocally unrelentingly to his work let's pray